Newell was ordained in 1990, a year before the alleged victim reported the abuse, and removed from the Los Angeles Archdiocese in 1993, Mahoney in charge, for unrelated reasons. Really, Newell was removed for, quote, not complying with a treatment program for personal issues, including obesity and alcohol. So he was just a fat drunk. That's why they got rid of him? I don't think so. And engaging in sexual misconduct with an adult. And that adult's gender, please. Newell, 48, now ministers in a working-class neighborhood in Tijuana and holds a daily evening mass with drums and electric bass that is broadcast live through the parish website. I'd like to hear some of his songs. Young parishioners interviewed there said, said they think highly of Padre Jeff, who runs a teen community group every week, holds a radio show for Catholic teens, and takes groups of children on sleepovers to a church-owned ranch. Well, just recently, the activist Supreme Court made it possible for corporations to pump in as much money as they want to into the election process because that's freedom of speech. Well, that's one way of looking at it. Not my way, but that is a way. Well, at least the House of Representatives have come up with somewhat of an antidote. It's called the Disclose Act, which only two Republicans voted for. I'm surprised that any of them did. Aren't they all glued together? The bill would provide tough new disclosure rules for groups that invest in the election process, in addition to forcing all the 501c4 groups to stand by the ads they sponsor during elections. So they actually have to stand by all the ridiculous things they say, with the CEO of the organization literally forced to appear in the spot. Hello, I'm Jeff Moneybags, the CEO of Wingnut Industries, and yes, I believe all the ridiculous things we're saying. I'm running for cover. The law would also require groups that met certain criteria to reveal who was funding their election activity. The later provision sparked intense pushback from a host of business groups led by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. House Democratic leadership had granted an exemption from that particular element of disclosure for the NRA. Them powerful guys, particularly when they come strapping to meet you. Is that a 44 Magnum or you just want my vote? But after fierce objection to the carve-out, the bill's author, Representative Chris Van Hollen, a Democrat from Maryland, expanded the loophole to include other organizations as well. It's the way it's done, man. It's all compromise. It's not perfect. But of course, now that we have the bill, we can stick a few more knives in it later on. The bill will now head to the Senate where Senator Chuck Schumer will try to shepherd it through that chamber. He will need to recruit at least one Republican co-sponsor for it to defeat a filibuster. Now think about this. This is how the NOP are are working for America, are helping to govern America by filibustering. You know, they're talking about taking away the filibuster. And you know, with the way that the GOP is handling it, I think it's, it's, it's a done deal. Upon passage, the following statements were offered. Okay. President Obama said, I congratulate the House of Representatives on today's passage of the Dis- Disclose Act, a critical piece of legislation to control the flood of special interest money into our elections. House bill's not perfect. I would have preferred that it include no exemptions, but it's a good thing. Now we get Republican drill, baby drill, lesbian nightclub habitué, Michael Steele. 
The Disclose Act is just another round of political gamesmanship designed to expand the influence of big labor and liberal special interests while discouraging other groups from engaging in political debate. Does that mean that the the labor and liberal special interests are not at all unhappy with appearing in their ads because they're fairly real and thoughtful? Uh, is, is that what it's all about? He says, it is regrettable that Democrats are more focused on blatantly stacking the electoral deck ahead of the midterms than they are about creating jobs and reducing the debt. Block that metaphor. They're stacking instead of creating and reducing. It's said that Democrats were motivated by the specter of Karl Rove's 501 causing havoc in the upcoming midterms, even though Rove's venture has failed to come up with the bucks he expected. Nevertheless, Rove is the perfect boogeyman to get the Dems off their butts. The Economist is one of the most respected uh, magazines on the globe. It's conservative. It's careful. You might even say it's generally moderate. And they think twice before they take on American foreign policy. But here's a piece from the recent economist. Mr. Obama has every reason to cashier General McChrystal. Officers, including his predecessor, have gone for less. Not to act would have left the president looking weak, and yet it was a heavy price to pay. Nothing could cheer the Taliban more than seeing General McChrystal out on his ear. He's a master of counterinsurgency, nicknamed COIN, C-O-I-N. He was one of the few Americans who could work with President Hamid Karzai, and his hand-picked commanding officers are in charge of a forthcoming operation in Kandahar that will probably determine the course of the campaign. To Mr. Obama's credit, his place has been filled by General David Petraeus, the fainting general, the star of the war in Iraq, and the man who wrote the manual on coin. Even so, the dismissal leaves America's campaign pitched on the edge of failure. They use the word failure. This is a terrible moment for the generals to fall out with the politicians. In June, Afghanistan surpassed Vietnam to become, by some measures, the longest campaign in America's history, for which, besides clearing out the Taliban camps initially, has done nothing. More than 1,000 of its men and women have been killed and almost 6,000 injured. Yet the Taliban are rampant, assassinating tribal leaders and intimidating their people. A survey in 120 districts racked by insurgency, a third of the Afghanistan's total found little popular support for Mr. Karzai. Over a third of their inhabitants backed the insurgents. One out of three Afghanis supports the insurgents? This is out of the question. Since November, when Mr. Obama promised 30,000 more of his country's soldiers to the campaign, little has gone right. General McChrystal's plan was for a surge that would seize the initiative from the Taliban and create the scope for Afghanistan's government, backed by its army and police, to take charge. Something, of course, they have never done. In practice, that has not happened. Marja, a farming district in Helmand, was supposed to show how coin would win over the people and send the Taliban packing. General McChrystal himself now calls Marja a bleeding ulcer. thing I liked about McChrystal, I'm not that fond of Delta Force generals, and you know, he is a hard-cut, steely blue-eye guy. He actually has little or no political smarts, so he calls him as he sees him. Yes, Marja is a bleeding ulcer. Mr. Karzai's supposedly corrupt half-brother, supposedly, was meant to go, but he remains in charge of Kandahar. Fanciful Pentagon talk of Afghanistan's huge mineral wealth smacks of desperation. Isn't that interesting? Because I was reading like things in the Huff Post and places like 
like that that says this is their salvation. Well, the uh, economist, which is, I think, a little even deeper than the Huff and Puff, says that it smacks of desperation. America has perhaps until the end of the year to show that coin can work. We're so much not at stake, it would be tempting to give up and call the troops home. Yet, although Western leaders have done a poor job of explaining the war in Afghanistan to their voters, a defeat there would be a disaster. There's the D words, defeat and disaster. The narrow aim of denying al-Qaeda a haven, already frustrated by the terrorist scope to lodge in unruly parts of northern Pakistan, Yemen, and Somalia, would become impossible to achieve. A Western withdrawal would leave Afghanistan vulnerable to a civil war that might suck in the local powers, including Iran, Pakistan, India, and Russia. Sooner or later, the poison would end up harming America, too. But wait a minute. Really? I mean, the the Taliban, a bunch of, now turns out to be assassinating thugs who comes out, come out of the madrasas, you know, carrying holy books and making sure that nobody's flying kites with pages of the Quran. Now there's thinking. That takes some real vigilance. Yeah, they helped uh, Osama bin Laden, a real smart guy who used box cutters to bring down the Twin Towers. I mean, basically, that's the level of their, you know, uh, shall we say, mechanical sophistication. We blew them up, right? We blew them up. And then we came back to do what? Basically, to serve the purposes of the Pakistani intelligence that's been running us and the CIA for ever so long, because their intent indeed is to rule Afghanistan. And sooner or later, we will leave. And it isn't a matter of Russia coming in. That's the last thing they want. Last time they were in Afghanistan was not such a happy ending. India doesn't want to go anywhere near Afghanistan. Iran, I mean, come on. Iran's got its own problems, and it's got oil, and they're smart. They're Persians. They're educated. No, it's Pakistan that will take over. Pakistan, the people with the bomb. Wingnuts with the bomb. This is so much fun, I don't want it to end, but hey, we've got tomorrow. So before we skip out, Uncle Dave, how about a little tangerino? Well, you know, I mean, this is from Lee Ho. Oh, yeah. Lee Ho. And um, he, he does these poems for the moons or the months. Fifth month in China is July. So I finally get to read his July poem. Okay, good. Carved screens of jade on windows. Gauze curtains across doorways. Well water drawn at daybreak. Mallards and their hens on painted fans. Snowy clothes of the dancers in the cool palace halls. Sweet dews washing the air. Sleeves flying. Drops of sweat like beads of grain. Drops of sweat like Beads of grain. That's those dancers. Dance on in July. Those tangers are just so cool. Radio Free Oz uh, for today. Well, who makes it all happen? It's the Oz team. I'm your host, Peter Burton. Co-host is David Osmond. John Cumming does the ones and zeros. Phil Fountain keeps it beautiful. Tom Gedwillow makes sure that the web is working. Chaz Glass on the financials and the spreadsheets. Dave Maloney does all the recording. Bill McIntyre produces it. And Scott Wilde makes sure social media is happening our way. See you tomorrow.